This is Phantom Electric Ghost. We're live on the air for the first time with Crystal Fideli. And uh, thank you for joining us on the Phantom Electric Ghost podcast. I want to yes, let people thank you know that um, we are featured podcast on the Newsly platform. You see that little icon up there that says listen on Newsly. If you use coupon code GHOST, you can get one month free, per script, uh, free premium subscription. And this podcast will be on uh, Newsly later tonight as an audio-only version of the podcast. So you can hear it there. And thank you again for being on the show. This is episode 938 of the Phantom, Phantom Electric Ghost podcast. Since 2016, we've been on the air. And tonight, we're going to talk about this topic, how our current treatment system is doing to help those who find alcohol wreck their life, havoc in their life. So um, thank you again for being on the show. And we can kind of start that you're an alcohol recovery coach. Uh, so maybe you want to talk about what that means and um, to the audience so they can understand it. Yeah, of course. So I am an alcohol recovery coach and I help women reclaim their lives over alcohol, reclaim their power. So go from alcohol wreaking havoc over them to gaining total power over alcohol so they can finally be free to create a life that they love, one where they look forward to each and every day. I think that's very important because, you know, I, I. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, however you want to start with how you got into this. Um, and um, I think you have a master's in um, advocacy and policy, right? Yeah, so I have a master's in child advocacy and policy with a child public welfare concentration. It's a mouthful. And then I have another master's in research and analysis. And then I have a grad certificate in data collection management. And yeah, I was in the trauma and addiction recovery field for 10 years. And then I started my own thing. And so I guess I'm still in the, the field, but um, So but yeah. is there um, maybe your story about like, what did, why did you want to focus on this? Is there something uh, in your life that made you want to focus on helping people with this issue? Yeah, yeah, it's definitely just my passion project, my life's purpose. It was my story, and I was able to finally find the answer after nearly suffering for a decade. But, you know, and I just, I, well, so let me start at the beginning. So basically, I started drinking alcohol, just it was the socially acceptable thing to do. I think, you know, everybody basically starts because of that. And um, then after a couple years, a few years, I realized it was wreaking havoc in my life, um, personally, socially, uh, professionally, my health and more. Um, I was <laughs> kicked out of a university. I was, um, I lost a job because of it. Um, There's just so many bad things that happened. Um, and so, so yeah, so basically it just wreaked havoc and I sought help because I'm a person where I, I have, a I have a lot of dreams. I have a lot of visions. Um, and this was obviously getting in the way and I was just suffering like inside it's, it sucks too. So know, when did you begin alcohol oh, use sorry. disorder? Yeah. So I, when did you begin drinking alcohol? Was it something no, that ahead. started really early for you or later in um, like in college or, or before that? My early 20s in college. What? Yeah. My early 20s. Was it the yeah, college? In college. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. Was I it the college like environment? I mean, I went to a <laughs> school in Maine, Bowdoin, and it, in back in, eight, in the late 80s, like 86 to 90. And it was the culture, like a frat culture, a sorority culture, mm -hmm. Friday, Saturday mm -hmm. night, that it was like very excessive bad behavior to the point that those sororities and frats are no longer there at my college, Bowdoin. They got rid of them because of that kind of culture. It, what, what, did you find it was like that kind of college yeah. culture of like binge drinking? Was that part of the problem? 
Oh yeah, definitely. Drinking games. I mean, it was fun, it you know, until <laughs> a couple of few years in for me and then alcohol started wreaking havoc. Um, but at the beginning it was, real, I'm not going to lie. It was fun. It was, <laughs> um, but then it started wreaking havoc and yeah. Um, so I just started to seek help. For now, when you started to seek help, was it easy for you to find help? No. So, so I sought help from like therapists, from support groups, like AA, I think everybody knows what Alcoholics Anonymous is, um, Celebrate Recovery. Uh, my pastor, I went up to the front of church uh, after service for prayer. I was journaling and begging God for the answer. Like, you know, can you heal me? Like, what do I need to do? And I just did everything I knew how, and it just seemed I had an accountability partner. Like there's so many things that I tried and I just, there is just like, there was only one answer and one answer only. And it was, you know, you have a problem with alcohol and so you need to not drink ever again for the rest of your life. And if you don't do that, then you don't care about, you know, your life. You don't care about people around you. I didn't have kids at the time. So, you know, um, didn't say that at the time, but it's just like, basically you don't care and it's your fault if this continues. And so I, I earnestly like tried, like I tried so hard and I would have times where months would go by and I was like, okay, I'm 41 days sober or like whatever, you know? And, but I was really like white knuckling it to try not to drink because I knew it would happen if I did. But, you know, I just, the obsessive thoughts and the cravings, the physical cravings for alcohol just do not cease. And eventually you give in and you end up drinking just the way you were when you put the alcohol down. It's like no time had passed at all. That's actually what we call the alcohol deprivation effect. It's, you know, you would think, oh, like after all this time, it won't be so bad. Like maybe that person can get to where they were, but it'll take some time of drinking. No, right away. Um, wow, I just, my face just got really bright. I don't know why it's not light in here. Um, but right away, I just went just as if no time had passed. And um, yeah, and so it just was nearly a decade of that pattern. So part of what you're doing with your, your programs that you're coming up with is probably because you had a hard time finding something that was going to work for you, right? So so it's like a lesson learned for yourself that you've, you're taking your experience and find, trying to find a way to help other people that maybe have the, had the same problem or having the same problem you had. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Because, well, because what I found, so let me like finish, I guess my story is that, you know, basically um, after nearly a decade of suffering, I was still desperate for the answer. I was praying and asking God this entire time and finally i came across this youtube video and it was a ted talk and the speaker was claiming that they found the cure to alcoholism and i was like this is too good to be true so i discounted it originally and then after some time had passed i was already desperate but i just got even more desperate i guess and i'm like you know what um this could be totally you know, too good to be true, or maybe it could be the answer. And so I'm like, you know what, if I don't try it, I know that it's not going to work. But if I do try it, I have a chance. So you would think that that would be my happily ever after, right? But it wasn't because I went and then I went to my family doctor and my family doctor just tried to, you know, same old thing, like tried to counsel me and, uh, you know, telling me to keep a drink log and trying to you know, moderate my drinking and, you know, or to not drink at all. And through sheer willpower, as if like, I didn't just explain, I tried mm. for nearly a decade and it's not working and I want to try this new way. And then I was like, you know what, can I just speak to like a higher up doctor? It's okay if you don't feel comfortable, but um, not that she said that, but I was like, maybe she doesn't feel comfortable. I'm like, can I just speak to a, another doctor who's like higher up? 
the clinical director of the practice came in and the clinical director of the practice basically told me that she thought I was trying to go in through the back door for treatment. Uh, and then I went to another doctor and she basically was like, you're just trying to be a doctor and treat yourself because I shared with her, Hey, I've tried all this for nearly a decade. It's really not working. Like I'm really trying. It's not working. Can we try this way? You're trying to be your own doctor and treat yourself. Um, and then I went to a third practice and they just refused. Again, they refused to treat me. They were like, I'm sorry, we can't help you. And eventually they're like, you just need to leave our office. So I was so distraught. And meanwhile, all this time is passing. And I was also a brand new single mother. So I was like going through a, a very hard time with that. Um, and so I, you know, finally found a doctor who was willing to prescribe me the medication. The only thing was they didn't take my insurance. And I was a single mom at the time. And I was really struggling to afford my, my daughter's basic necessities plus daycare. <laughs> And so I robbed Peter to pay Paul and I took money from my rent and I paid this doctor. And then a miracle happened where like, you know, in two to three months, I literally had no more episodes where it's what I call them, where I drank way too much and did something that wreaked havoc in my life, socially, professionally, whatever. Um, the obsessive thoughts and cravings completely went away. Um, it's just, everything was just completely better. My therapist of five years at the time dropped me as a client when I had gotten better because she didn't agree with the way I did it, uh, which is interesting because she was with me for almost five years of me just in this constant cycle of, you know, just not relapsing, I guess you could call it, not being able to moderate or just abstain. So, you know, it's really sad, but, but I guess that kind of you know, gets, oh, and then let, okay. So then fast forward, this is around the time where I'm, I think it's right before, right at the beginning when I started earning my two master degrees and, you know, in a master's level of studies, you're really able to do your own research and to focus um, on reading the research that you want to read. And so I really focused all of my research towards this topic and I realized, oh my gosh, like my story is not unique. The data is terrible on this. There's an issue. And then I'm like, well, why? And then I, you know, was like, oh, this is our approach. This is the way our system understands somebody who suffers from a substance use disorder mm -hmm. at large. Obviously, we're just talking about alcohol here. Um, you know, and so they approach it this way, but whatever you misdiagnose, you're going to mistreat. But then I, you know, looked at alternative ways, one being the way that I did it, I was able to do it. And I'm like, the data is like literally flipped on its head um, because so here's a couple pieces of data for you. So on average, someone, someone will suffer from a substance use disorder for 10 years on average before they even seek treatment. So that's an average of 10 years. It's a long time. It's a decade. <laughs> and then only... 10 out of 100 will ever seek treatment. That means 90 out of 100 people will not seek treatment. 90% of people will not seek treatment ever in their life. Only 10% will. And then only one out of those 10 will be successful in treatment. So what does that say? That means we yeah. have a 1% success rate or the, alter the alternate way of saying it, we have a 99% failure rate. It's not being nailed. Why? <laughs> Why do we have a 99% failure yeah, rate? Well, well, it doesn't seem like the say? doctors are analyzing. The, doesn't I seem like the doctors are analyzing the problem in the right way. Yes. Yes. Yeah. That's that's my conclusion. That was my hypothesis for my research, and so I just kind of kept reading like more research, like you know what what's going on. Like, well, well, the approach is that kind of what our society thinks. And so my idea is, is that, you know, society is the umbrella and then the treatment providers are under the, that umbrella. Like they have a bias from society. And so they have something we call a, or the research calls, I should say, a practice-based approach. So basically substance use disorder treatment is based on providers' opinions 
and tradition, what we've always done. Um, but I think that's silly. That's a silly standard for continuing to do something we've always done. If we see that the data is showing we have a 99% failure rate. Um, now this is um, juxtaposed with an evidence-based approach, right? And so evidence-based is based on research. And what is research? I have a whole degree in it. Basically watered down what research is, is what works for the most amount of people in the best way, the most amount of time, right? And so there are other ways to treat alcohol use disorder and substance use disorder at large, really. Um, again, I focus on alcohol, but, um, and it flips that data that I just shared with you, that 99% failure rate on its head. It flips it on its head. In fact, the way that I went, it has an 89% effect. That makes sense. Or I should say it has an ability to have an 89% effectiveness rate. So all the clinical trials demonstrated a 78% success rate, but there was 11% non-medication compliant, which I hate that terminology because it's like, I hate the whole compliant word because I just feel like it's, it's punitive terminology, but just go with me here. That's, you know, how it reads when you read it. So that's what I say. So if everybody was medication compliant, then I guess we have, a possibility to have an 89% effectiveness rate. And then 11% of people, you know, that medication that I used just doesn't work for everybody. So, but there are a total of six medications that are, that can treat alcohol use disorder. Three are FDA approved for um, the treatment of alcohol use disorder. You know, obviously that, you know, it doesn't mean that you can't use the other three. It just means that the FDA approves three medications specifically for the treatment of AUD, but you can use um, other medications for other uses that the doctor can do it at their discretion. Um, you know, so there are other medications and combinations like that can work. Um, you know, so anyways, it's just really, really sad. And even by the way, I'm going on and on and I will continue until you stop me <laughs> because this is my so I guess my question is, so but, is um, it that for the, um, most of the time you're going for treatment, no one gave you these options, these medications as options until you got to that final. Yeah. Nope. And when I tried, yeah. And, and then when I tried, you know, I told you, I'm trying to go in the back door to treatment. I'm trying to be my own doctor and treat myself. That Those are the answers I got all while I had my baby with me, my brand new baby, because I was a single mother, as single of a mother could be, you know, my child's father, um, my first child, now I'm married with two kids, but um, my first child's father told me, if you go ahead with the pregnancy, you'll be on your own. And that's exactly what happened. He left. And then of course, I don't have any family because of my childhood. Um, that's a whole other story for a whole other time, which is actually another topic because, uh, yeah. So just a whole other topic because, I'll, you know, there's this like widely held belief that people use substances or alcohol, again, I focus on alcohol, um, to self-medicate because of trauma or a mental health condition. Okay. I, I understand that. That can be true. Um, but here's the piece where I think people miss. So whatever causes someone to pick up the alcohol, the difference of what I'm talking about of alcohol use disorder um, being a neurochemical disorder, where basically like just your, your brain, the stuff that makes up your brain um, on the inside, um, just like your inner, like your chemicals that are in your body, like all that kind of stuff. And your brain isn't just up here, it's all over your body. Um, whatever causes someone to pick that alcohol up, whether it's a trauma or whether it's just because it's socially acceptable, when it doesn't matter why they pick it up, the, the point where somebody who has alcohol use disorder, that's a neurochemical disorder, and that I would argue the majority of the population has it, um, the very fact that they cannot stop drinking, that's, that's, the, that's, the, the, that's the person I'm talking about. That's the person that I'm trying to help. Because if you could just put it down and just be like, oh, you know what? I'm not just going to have this other drink because, 
it's probably not healthy. I'll stop at this one or two. That's not alcohol use disorder. Well, I guess it could be classified as alcohol use disorder, like low mm-hmm. on the spectrum because AUD mm-hmm. is on a spectrum. There's low, medium, high, right? Yeah, um, and you can and vacillate between whatever. You can be low and then you can go high. You can be medium. You can be medium high. I was mostly medium to high or just super max. But, um, you know, the very fact that someone literally cannot moderate or literally cannot abstain, that is who I am talking about. And we are doing people like me a disservice. Um, and if now, if you want to get into the whole child welfare implications, there are so many children suffering because they can't be with mommy or daddy because they suffer from a disability that's thought yeah. of as something behavioral. So as it seems choice, like, yeah. and it's not. seems so like there if, are if some judgments the society yeah. has made when you have an addiction problem that's like chemically dependent in your brain. And once you get on that train, that's not something that your willpower is going to control. But some people have pre-existing belief systems or or old concepts at a societal level and they're kind of blaming the victim and they're kind of saying it's your responsibility and they're not looking for like if i'm a cancer i, I had cancer so you know i took you know chemo and radiation and nobody yes. has a problem you know giving me that and they you know they, they give me those medications but if you have an alcoholic yeah. you know problem that's an addictive problem that's a disease that still needs something similar to like a chemo or a radiation. You need it. You need the treatment. But if you have a judgmental society, they say, well, yeah. we're not going to pay for that because we think it's willpower. Or we think it's this. Or we think it's morality. So th- then you can see the disconnect of why people are being allowed to suffer because it's like, oh, people deserve their pain. You know, there's a mindset out there that seems like pe- there's a belief like that, in my opinion. But that's that might that's not. Oh, yeah. And I mean, don't get me started on that topic of it's so actually very cheap to treat alcohol use disorder, especially through medication assisted treatment. It's so cheap. Actually, the more you do um, the method I did, um, the less you need it. There's no profit (laughs) in it. There's no money in it. So, I mean, I'm not going to get into conspiracy theories, but, you know, I, you know, but it's, it's so simple to treat and, I think it just needed someone to kind of step up to the plate. And so that's why I've done what I've done. I've created the connections I need to make. And so when my clients come to me, I, you know, I connect them with all of the resources that they need to, you know, overcome um, alcohol wreaking havoc in their life. And, um, you know, I connect them. I, you know, I mean, well, I should say first, what we do is we, we discover what somebody's goals with alcohol are, right? Well, first, first I share with them what all their options are, you know, today. Um, you know, if anything were possible, what, what would you want? Here's your options um, that I know of at least, you know, and then, you know, the second um, step we take is we really discover what somebody's goals are with alcohol. And that is probably the hardest part because there's a lot of people who they want something, but they won't even verbalize it because they don't believe it's possible. And that's so sad to me because it's just not true. There's a way, especially for alcohol use disorder. You want to be abstinent? Cool. Let's do it. You want to moderate? Cool. That's more than possible. You want to moderate and then go abstinence? Or do you want to be abstinent now and maybe moderate later? Do you want to moderate now and be abstinent later? Whatever, you know? And so then after we uncover somebody's goals, which literally takes the longest time, um, but that's okay. I love doing it um, because nobody ever gave me that opportunity for nearly a decade. I had to fight for it and figure it out myself. Um, Then the second step is I connect them with, um, well, we write their own treatment plan essentially, right? Because when you go to a treatment provider, everybody wants to write a treatment plan for you. I think that's ridiculous. It's your body. You should have a choice over what your plan is going to be, Um, especially if you even look at, you know, the stages of change, like what is going to ensure that somebody creates true and lasting change. Well, if they agree with what's going on, right? If you try to force something on somebody, they're most likely not going to do it. 
you know, they might say, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, but they're not really, their heart's not in it, right? So anyways, then the next step is connecting them with all they need to accomplish their goals with alcohol. Um, so that's, those are most of the steps I take my clients through. And it's everything I wish that I had when I was going through all of this. But yes, anything is possible, moderation or abstinence or a combination of both. So when you so, were telling your story about how the doctors were kind of like, you know, disagreeing with you and kind of kicking you out or not listening. And it just seems like that, that that's, um, you know, just not the kind of service, you know, you think you should get when you're, you know, is it because of the, the, the kind of stigma uh, that they were, you know, judging and they were coming from like, you know, a 90% failure rate and then still trying to tell you that they were the expert. <laughs> Yeah, me and doctors don't really get along in any capacity, though, because, yeah, I'm I'm kind of the person where I have questions and I'm always like, well, why? Well, what's the risk to that? Or, you know, I don't I don't just like top down someone tell me what's going to happen. It's like, no, actually, you're the expert on all the inner workings of my body, but I'm the expert on me and who, what I want to do and what's best for me. And I know my body and with an intuition that you don't. So, uh, you know, I'm hiring you to consult with, to help me make the best decision. Like you don't make the decision here, but anyways, now I'm getting off on another tangent. Obviously I'm very passionate about lots of things, but, um, but yeah. And, but here's the thing. I don't even think that doctors realize this data. I don't think they realize. Um, that's why I do what I do. It, you know, even I'll be, I'll, you know, tell you this, even my friends, some of them to this day still insist that I was suffering from alcohol use disorder or that anybody suffers from alcohol use disorder because of a trauma mm -hmm. or a mental health disorder. And uh, even though they saw my transformation, it, it must be like cognitive dissonance or something. And so that's why my goal is really to just help as many people and connect them with, you know, who, who or what, you know, is going to help them. Because it's like, okay, fine. You want to think this way? You can be wrong. There's the crowd over there and I'm going to do what's right. And I'm going to get free despite you because mm -hmm. I'm not reliant upon you. I kind of seem a little bit aggressive, but it's just really sad when somebody's denied treatment. And um, it just seems seems so like yeah. there's this, um, yeah. you know, a bias like you've indicated, where they want to go into this whole, you know, kind of therapist uh, kind of analysis is the inner child was wounded or you had some kind of issue, and that's why there's some people that that's what they believe and that's what they've been taught, and they get their PhD and that's what they believe in. Um, and any and for certain people that might be the way they can solve it. But if you've got a ninety percent failure rate, it doesn't seem like it's solving it. So, so the the, the issue is like you know evidence based. You know makes a lot of sense to me. I mean, I was I'm a I'm a cancer survivor, and I had to make some choices when I was mm -hmm. going for my treatment. There was one treatment that would have been basically a placebo, and it wasn't really going to do anything. It was like a fifty fifty shot. It wasn't real. And then there was something that was like a real surgical procedure that had a high rate of success. And I say, like, why the heck would I ever take something where it's 50% shot? I got a level three sarcoma that I'm going to take a 50% shot that what you're giving me is not even real. And, and wouldn't see my sarcoma go to four. And we're like, why would I do that? So as I had to be, at least I, I, I took the time and I was 27, but I thought, oh, well, how many people, didn't actually do the research and just listen to the doctor and told him to do that first thing. And, and so that I, I understand what you're talking about with doctors, yeah. because I had to do some research and I'm still here because I figured out which one to use. I guess I picked the right one. <laughs> yeah. Well, we're happy you're here. But I get <laughs> we're it. happy I get you what figured you're it out. You have to yeah. kind of take responsibility and, and do some, do some, you know, some work when you expect people to do it for you, but sometimes you got to do it for yourself. That's what it seems like your, your lesson learned. 
Yeah, I I think it's really sad because um, like we're all busy, right? We we are all experts in our own thing, right? Um, not everybody can go and get two grad degrees, right? Um, not everybody, you know, can go and be a medical doctor and we rely on professionals and experts to be professionals and experts, but then there is this balance of you do really have to kind of have, have a little bit of knowledge and, um, you know, kind of make sure that everything's, everything's going right. Um, so. but it seems like your so, experience yeah. with, um, seeking treatment has, you know, created, you know, your, your, your new program. But I wonder like, how do we, how do you find people before they go down like the, the road you went, you try to catch them before they, they, they find out that they've been, you know, wasting their time doing things that like don't have a success rate. How, how do you reach people before they, they, or did they, you know, I guess the, what's the path for the person that comes to you? I mean, how, how do you? Yeah. Well, a lot of people come to me after spending years, um, trying traditional treatment routes and they're just so heartbroken and they're hopeless. Um, so I, well, how do I, how do I just by getting this message mm -hmm. out, by talking to you, by, um, you know, speaking engagements, I try to book as many yeah. as I can to share, share, share. Um, I can hear. sorry, that's, that's my okay. two year old. I don't know if you're <laughs> screaming in the other room, but <laughs> mom i'm a mom over here two and five year olds but um so yeah i definitely you know try to speak as much as i can about it and that's why i started my my business you know so i could you know be that person to help because there's there's not a lot of us around doing this very specific alcohol recovery coaching work because people don't know people don't know that's really the thing or they don't accept that you know there's a lot of people who have criticism for the work I do and you know you just got to kind of accept it even some of my friends but it's just like okay but I was literally at risk of ruining my life and my kids not having a mom anymore or you know I'm free. I literally like have alcohol has no power over me. So it's again, that cognitive dissonance. Um, so yeah, but that's why I kind of created my, my resource, you know, the three ways to reclaim your power over alcohol. And, um, yeah. So I, I try, I try as best as I can. There's not a lot of me out there. So getting the word out. Do you find that podcast or, um, like going to like public speaking forums, um, is, is, is this podcast type of, um, tool, is this something that works, um, for what you're trying to do or is it more of a public, uh, symposium or some kind of, um, you know, do you find a way to do it that way through public speaking? Are there outlets for you to do it there? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I do a lot of speaking engagements in many different ways. Like obviously a podcast is one way of doing a speaking engagement. So and then people can kind of learn who I am and look me up and, and be like, oh, okay, this is cool. And then obviously some people download the free resource and then some people, you know, want to take it further with me and I'm able to help them. And then I'm so happy because uh, it's it's just so amazing to be able to do what was not done for me. I mean, it probably seems like it just was so easy for me, but it, it wasn't. Um, there was a lot of, it, just besides the point of, of finding what my goals truly were and what truly worked for me, but there was a lot of troubleshooting, you know, that came up along the way. And there were providers that I found, but it was very, it was very, um, how do I say, like, you know, maybe I saw them, but in isolation over here or in isolation over there, like, obviously 
I am there with my clients. Like I walk them through, they have access to my phone through voice messaging and like I'm there to help them troubleshoot and walk them through and give them options along the way. Like I hold them through the whole process so they're not alone. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm talking about my, what I do no, so much because I'm just so passionate about it, but it's, it's just everything I like, wish I had. You get to a point so. where um, you find your like life goal. Like I talk to a lot of life coaches and, and a lot of mentors and it seems like they, they kind of, most of their stories are they, they went through it. And then they discovered they want to be an advocate. They want to be a, like a teacher. They want to be getting that mentor role. They want to be in that coach role because they feel like that's going to key give them purpose. Like they sometimes people were kind of not yes. feeling their purpose. And then once they solved their own problem, they felt so powerful about that, that it becomes their purpose is to help other people and lift other people up. It seems to be a common thread with a lot of the people I've talked to. So it makes a lot of sense to me that you'd be excited about it and, ha you know, really into it. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I, it's, it's so much different to have a soul aligned business, a business that is your life purpose, because I had another business before I started this one and it was just cause I was really good at it. And I made the decision not in the too recent past to completely shut that down and be like, you know what? No, I'm just focusing on this. Um, you know, I'm also like a mom and a wife and, you know, I have my, my fur babies too. So <laughs> they're a year old puppy and a seven year old. And I just, I was, and I had to step away from other things I was involved, involved in, in my community. Cause I'm like super involved. Um, I was going to run for board of education in my town this year, but I'm like, no, I do want to run for like assembly one day at the state level. Um, but not now, not now. And I'm just like, I have to focus on, you know, this one thing first, the first ministry is to my family, but you know, second is that my ministry to my work here, um, you know, my clients and, and people who just, you know, listen to me like here on this podcast and it's soul aligned and it's just so, it is so much different. And you're right because I come from kind of like the therapy and, you know, that kind of world. And I, I almost got my degree in social work, my master degree, but I was like, you know what? No, I, I, I actually believe more in life coaching and I believe more in life coaching because you are nine times out of 10 guaranteed that that person has literally gone through it and they are now standing victorious in what they clawed their way out of, whether that be starting your own business or um, doing a mindset, you know, mm -hmm. shift or like a money mindset, you know, shift going from a poverty mindset to a wealth conscious mindset, um, or what I do, right. Overcoming alcohol use disorder, um, reclaiming my power over alcohol. And so I just feel like it's just, it just sets you up for more success and coaching is different. Coaching is sometimes like, it's okay. We're going to get through this, you know, whatever. And sometimes coaching is listen, you know, these things and let's do them. Like you've got it in you. I'm right yeah. here with you. Let's do it together. Come on. You know? So there's something in coaching that you just don't find. Well, I think it's a more personal thing. Things. You know, it seems so. like a lot of times with some other things like this, maybe that, you know, there's science and things. And then there's like, you know, the, the kind of top down doctor mindset is different than a life coach. Cause they're kind of coming top down. Like they got the PhD, they got this, and, and if you're coming from a life coach, it tends to be more like, okay, there's, there's not psychobabble, but you're actually, what I've found with mo really good life coaches is that they have very good listening skills. They actually figure out who their clients are and are not just trying to build them based on some kind of scientific roadmap. Not that they don't follow scientific processes, but there's a lot of human factor. And being a musician, it's like, you know, am I going to go use AI or am I going to talk to a record producer that's actually done it, right? I'd rather talk to a guy and talk to a bass player that yeah. actually played instead of using a machine, right? I'm going to actually want the human factor. I'm one of these musicians. I, I don't really want to use the computer. I want to use people. 
Yeah. I want to deal with people. I want to f hear what they have to say, or what they want to do. And to me, it's like, that's a better outcome because it's a human outcome. So I think it's the same kind of idea that what I've, you know, over talking to like a couple hundred life coaches is, is that it seems that that's, that's like the, the kind of thing that the common thread is, is that human experience and listening skills and empathy. You know, I think that is maybe what the doctors don't have. They've kind of lost some of the empathy. That's what it seems like to me. Empathy is huge. Yeah, empathy is huge. Yeah, definitely. It's definitely huge. And then also really getting the consent, right? Well, obviously, I don't get consent, you know, from my clients. Um, really, it's more what is you, what are your desires? What are your passions? Can I help you? Like, do I know from where you are and where you want to go? Can I do I know that I can walk you? across that chasm successfully. Okay, cool. Then let's work together, right? If mm -hmm. not, I don't always make an offer to work with people because I might not be best suited. And of course, I point them in another direction. I, I leave them with, you know, something. I'm not going to have them go away empty-handed. Um, but we have to totally be aligned. Um, but yeah, definitely, um, you know, I just feel like a lot of and I don't want to like hate on doctors because there are really good doctors out there. Um, but yeah, I just find in my experience, you have to be careful because a lot of doctors or even therapists will, um, you know, there's, there's quite a number that I've experienced. will just try to tell you what's going to happen. And it just, I, I don't think it works. Um, uh, but there are good ones out yeah. there too. I found, you know, some, to, sometimes so. <laughs> there's a disconnect between like all the legs that make a person. Like I was dealing with like cancer doctors that weren't talking about nutrition. They weren't talking about like other things besides, mm -hmm. you know, like there's a person, you have to look at what you eat, what you do, you know, the, the whole picture. And sometimes, you know, an oncologist might be very yes. narrowly focused. A radiologist is very narrowly focused, but there seems to be the need to have somebody that's looking at the overall picture, but they're very specialized. And I understand the specialization. I mean, I survived because they, they were guys that were specialized, but I think there's a, there's a disconnect where they yeah. don't put the holistic approach. And I think that's what that's missing. I think is the problem. Yes. Yes. Yes, definitely. I that's those are the kind of doctors and and therapists that I'm connected to are the holistic ones because I believe in integrative, holistic, you know, medicine, alternative medicine, um, Western medicine only when necessary, but mostly Eastern. That's that's my approach. I'm more holistic, which is kind of like it sounds probably funny because it's like, but Crystal, you advocate for medication assisted treatment. Well, yes, I do because, you know, that's that's what, that's the only way to cure alcohol use disorder, um, for the most amount of people. And you don't need to use the medication for long. And there's other components in your, in your treatment. That, um, but I love, I love that you are using cancer. <laughs> well, I mean, I don't love that you're using cancer cause it's, it's sad that, you know, it's a thing and what you went through. Um, but I'm, I'm glad you're here. I'm glad that you figured it all out and, uh, that you're well. Um, but I, I'm kind of glad that you're using that as a, as a metaphor, kind of as a, a comparison, because I use stuff like that. Like I'll, I'll use like medical conditions that we as a society typically have Yeah. compassion, yeah. compassion on people when they're suffering from those, um, conditions and, you know, a lot of times, you know, people will be like, but substance use disorder, alcohol use disorder is completely yeah. different. It has no, nothing to do with it. And usually like when we get down to the nitty gritty, it's because, well, again, they think that people do it because of behavioral reasons that they choose to do it. But I'm really glad that you're using that as the comparison because in large part, you know, we view like cancer, um, for example, as something that's not that person's fault, right? Um, now, of course, you know, changing up maybe 
some lifestyle things like uh, what kind of foods you eat and how much you eat of it. Just like right now, I'm trying to lose my yeah. baby weight. And so I got to track my macros, <laughs> but amazing things are happening. I'm losing the weight, um, you know, or maybe you have to like intentionally learn how to not be so stressed or whatever. If you have a stress response or something like that, like there's different things you can do. Right. But the point being is that even if those are appropriate treatment plans, um, we still have compassion upon that person. We don't view it as their fault. Yeah. Substance use disorder, no. If you're an addict, you're a terrible human. Um, you are choosing to hurt people. And we just, we treat you like you need to be punished. And you absolutely do not. It is not your fault. It is a neurochemical disorder. It is a disorder of your neurochemistry. And it should be treated as such. It should be treated as a condition that needs to be treated. I went for nearly a decade suffering. And then I got better in two to three months. Yeah, it's a it's disconnect. There seems to be a disconnect, you know, but, a lot of times. Because, you know, society, I was a sociology major. <clears throat> even though my job is like, is um, oh, software nice. design. But um, what I thought was interesting about sociology, you know, you study you know, behavior at a micro level, but individuals and then group level. And then we look at nation level and then, you know, so interactions at multiple levels and, and like, you know, different ethnic groups, different um, cultures. And you can see certain, you know, behaviors, human behaviors are modeled and it's not always logical. A lot of times it's, it's, it's cultural, it's historic, it's because they've always done it. And you see a lot of patterns that are disruptive yeah. to the overall society just because people didn't really try to unpack it. And I always thought it was, it's an interesting way to look at things because you can, you know, psychology is like you're talking about yourself or talking about individuals. But when you look at sociology, it's, a high, it's looking at that same kind of pattern with groups. And then you can see why things happen. You can see yeah. patterns. You know, being a songwriter, I use it a lot to kind of inform why the songs I write to give it like a, a basis. But I think it's a good yeah. kind of understanding what, what you're talking about with ha what happened to doctors in general society, you know, having a massive failure rate and still putting it all on, on, on the, on the person, putting on the, the person who's suffering from alcoholism and making them responsible when the statistically you could show that it's not, but they're not solving the problem. And that seems like it's a societal group think yeah. instead of a, <laughs> you know, open up your mind and, and think about it a little deeper. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I, I don't think they know. And I, yeah, I think they have un, unconscious yeah. bias if I can use it in this, for this subject, but I do, I do, I think it's appropriate. It's an uncon, they're not aware of it. And it is a bias that they have from our society at large. That's why I say the society is the umbrella and doctors and they're all these it. other people, <laughs> therapists, whatever, you know, they're just underneath that umbrella. And, um, you know, it's just an unconscious bias. And then also I think when somebody like me comes in the patient room, they're like, who is this? Like nobody, no patient of mine has ever come in with research printed out highlighted and it's like sharing you know she is trying to be her own treatment provider like and then i think mm -hmm. maybe a little ego maybe comes into play because like i'm the doctor i i went to medical school i know you know what it what it is and um i tried to do it the nicest way possible i but it's like i was my own advocate i i needed help you know it, i and then also it's because it wasn't just about me anymore. It was about the fact that I had a, a child, you know, who needed her mom. And because dad was nowhere to be found now, of course I have my husband and he's like her father, but um, yeah, it wasn't just about me anymore. So I was like even more serious, like not that I wasn't not serious before, but I was just like, let's go. Like we need to, I need to fix this. So I was desperate, but I eventually found what I needed. Right. But, you know, I'm, I'm a Christian and I really, I love the Lord with all my heart. And, um, I just really feel like God has just, uh, you know, helped me become so free. And so, you know, one of the scriptures that really resonates with me for this particular situation, I think it's Romans eight thirty two. So, um, but 
it basically says like, you know, if you know the truth, it will set you free. Right. And one of my favorite translations, the passion translation, because it just, um, I feel like it just uses English in a way that we really use it today. It's not like that old thine thou thee, you know, whatever. Um, but anyways, this is how it inter it, um, excuse me, translates that scripture. Um, if you accept the truth, you know, you will be set free. So I think it's not even just knowing the truth. I think it's accepting the truth. And, um, I think when I share this information with people, um, I think, you know, some people are like, okay, well now I know of it. I've heard it, but I, I don't accept it. That's ridiculous. Um, you know, just like I told you, a lot of my friends, like, will still have this conversation with me today. And, and maybe I, I seem like I'm coming from a position of I'm right and they're wrong. No, they're not wrong. Like alcohol use disorder can come from a place like you can pick up alcohol because you're trying to cope with trauma. My whole point is, is that if you can't stop and actually put it down, then that's when you have yeah. a neurochemical disorder. It's a physical addiction to alcohol. And there's so many people that I know, and, and you know, and I, I don't, I haven't read the research on it. I don't know if it's been done to be quite frank with you. Maybe I should do the, the research project on it. I am a researcher, but um, where they didn't have crummy childhoods. They had amazing childhoods. They have family that loved them. They've never had trauma, you know, happen in their lives. And they still are physically addicted to alcohol. Yeah. That's what I'm talking about is the person that is physically addicted, that absolutely cannot stop, that gets obsessive thoughts and cravings that come every hour, every half hour, every five minutes, right? Until you pick up that drink of alcohol and then you literally cannot stop drinking. That is who I'm talking about. The small subsection of the population who can just yeah, yeah. put it down. That's not who I'm talking about. Um, kudos to them. It's so amazing that they're able to do that. That's awesome. Like, I'm so great. And my friends who I have these conversations with, they're right. They're right about that. But I'm talking about what's going to be the best for the most amount of people because we don't have that right now. And so hopefully, hopefully I can change the world. Hopefully God can use me to change the world in that. Well, I think that that's, respect. that's why you, you're helping others because you found a way to help yourself. And now you want to kind of spread that. And it is kind of this idea because a lot of people, you know, they, they let the the default position be what, you know, somebody who supposedly should know the truth or they're educated at a level that, but, you know, I, I started to question doctors, you know, being, being a cancer survivor, you have to be an advocate for what's going to work for you. Right. And so there's all these different things you can do kind of like the things you found. Right. And there's different levels that you could be in, uh, but you have to kind of do the work. And then some people don't want to do the work because they figure like this person's a PhD, they should tell me. But sometimes the way life is, like you found a situation where they, they're not solving the problem. So then if they're not solving the problem, then you need to be, have advocates like yourself out there for the people who have been in the system and they've been hitting that wall. If you hit the wall, then you got to figure something else out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, totally. And um, yeah, definitely. And actually what I also wanted to tell you is, is that, so you're like a songwriter. Um, this is, I'm kind of switching gears here maybe a little bit, but it's so funny because I actually, um, I wrote this song. It's called, We'll Make It Through. And because I, I sing and write music too, I play the guitar and like keys a little bit, um, just so I don't have to sing acapella. But it's called "We'll Make It Through," and it was actually literally um, in 2015 when I was being kicked out of the university. It was right before I was kicked out of the university because I was just suffering from alcohol use disorder so much, and um, it's just so funny to. It, it's like this whole song of like you know, God, because when I write music, I don't sit down and like, write it like it either comes to me and I have to pull yeah. out my iPhone really quick yeah. and sing it because <laughs> it'll just come like chorus, verse one, That's verse the two, the bridge, That's you know, everything. That happens. Um, <laughs> or I don't write at all. I don't have the, 
Yeah, I don't have the patience to sit down and write. I don't know. A lot of good like stuff that, comes stream of consciousness. Um, yeah, stream of consciousness so, is a valid thing. It's a valid way of writing. Yeah. So don't feel it's not. Okay. It's because I don't, I don't talk to other songwriters, so I I've never had this conversation before. But yeah, so I, it was just kind of like basically God saying like we're going to make it through. Like you're going to the other side. Like don't give up on me. You know, I long to save you, <laughs> you know, we're going to make it through. And um, anyways, just like really cool that God gave me that at that time, because it took a couple years, but we finally made it to the other side. And it's just cool. Like when you, when you get that and, you know, and then it actually comes true, you know, it, it takes a little bit of fight and a, some stress and a, maybe a couple of years, but. Yeah. Anyways, I don't know why that like no, came out of left field, but I, that's well, I think it's important. Just, it's like it's important oh, to here, express there. what's like, there. You know, a lot of what you know. I I'm a big advocate for art therapy, or what we call music therapy, because most musicians mm. and people don't realize most songwriters have a lot of issues, and what they've they've what they've found is the act yes. of writing the song is cathartic for them. Right. So they, 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 I, you know, as a songwriter, I, mm-hmm. I fully admit that my songwriting, I do it, whether it's going to be a hit or not, I do it because it's cathartic because I process whatever those feelings are, whatever they are, and try to be as honest as possible and just put it out. And for me, it kind of clears my, my soul and my heart at the moment. And a lot of people, when they go into therapy, they find that, you know, if you're not a creative person, you find a way to do that some other way. But as, a, as artists, we tend to do it that way. We tend to take those impactful moments and be able to express them. And if we once we get out of our system, it kind of that's out there, you know, that we were able to work through it. But I think that's the thing why people go to coaches, they go to therapists, mm-hmm. because they don't know how to do that. Or they don't know what to do to kind of process their feelings or to process their issues or figure out how to solve their problem. You know, I find a way, you know, to do that. So I think it's like when you did that, that's kind of like you're processing that pain. That's that's a that's a good thing to do that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's so true. I never thought of it that way. So I guess my whole ministry, my business, and and what I do is is a piece of me being yeah, an artist I, I, I never thought of it like that i have actually <laughs> said cool. on many podcasts that like people who think they're not artistic if you're a life coach or you're a therapist or you're an entrepreneur and you're creating something that's the human being being creative human beings are inherently creative some people say think oh i'm not michael jackson i'm not bob dylan i'm not yes. diana ross that doesn't matter you still human beings are inherently creative and however you use it to do a program like yourself or to do whatever you're doing, you know, anything you do as a human being, when you start to feel and connect and and put the dots together and come up with an idea, that's being creative. You know, it doesn't have to be a song to be creative. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, totally. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess that really helped me when I had to create my graphics right now, <laughs> but you know, you're right. You're right. Um, so thank you. Thank you for, yeah, it's, for, it's amazing. It's amazing to be able to create. Well, I want to thank you for telling your story. Because... I'm sorry. I was just going to say, it's amazing to be able to create things to help people. Yeah. Yeah. But okay. It, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry <laughs> about that. There's a yeah. delay. Um, but yeah, I think it's great that we're kind of near the end of the show because we're at the um, 58 minute mark, but I, I just want people to know about your website again. Uh, uh, so you can go to that and it'll be fully clickable, uh, when we f- publish, you'll be able to click on it and you can go to it and you tell people what happens if they click on your website. Yeah. So basically I think the link we have here, so that's my free gift to everybody who wants it. Um, it's called three ways to reclaim your power over alcohol and just fill out your name, your email, and we'll get you that right over to your email, that free resource. It's totally complimentary. That's awesome. Again, that's fully clickable on Facebook, YouTube, and all the other places we're going to be published. We're on almost everywhere you can watch or listen to a podcast and we're going to give you a landing page that will have all the primary places that will be available for your audience tomorrow. 
and then wherever they like to watch or listen to podcasts, they'll be able to get to this podcast and then click on that. Uh, it will be active. So that I do encourage people who listen and watch our podcast to actually click the URLs of the guests that are on the show so you can get further information on what we've been talking about during the whole show. But I, I wanted to thank you again for being on the Family Electric Coach podcast. Yes, thank you so much for having me. It was such a great conversation. Thank you. Have a great night. All right, you too.